Welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater. Season 3, Episode 4 with Scott Harrison. Hi everyone, hope you're doing well. I've just had a good week on the water, surfing and foiling in Wales. And the week before that, I was in Mexico at the Cabrina launch for their 2023 kite and foil range. And whilst I was there, I got to meet some interesting people, make some new friends, and I also did a few podcasts. The first episode I'm releasing is this one with Scott, and he's a really interesting gentleman. I got introduced to him very briefly at dinner, and we had a nice chat, and then decided to do a podcast, as I thought it would be something to chat about. He set up a brewery in America. He's got two breweries in America, actually, one, the Vale Brewing Company and Estuary Brewing Company as well. Through that brewing company, he connected with Kent Marinkovich, who is the CEO for Cabrina, and they dreamt up the idea of creating a beer that benefited people in less fortunate positions and enabled them to get into the water and do some water sports. That beer is called the Drifter Beer. You might have drunk some of it. It was on a tour this year with the Cabrina tour when they went around Europe. There were plenty of Drifter beers flying around. Um, It's really, really tasty, and Scott's very good at brewing beer. And I was intrigued as to how he got into that. And as all these things happen, it's a funny story. Started off with Scott being in the military, and without ruining the podcast, he ended up brewing some beer whilst he was over in Iraq, near the border of Iran. As you can imagine, with 20 years military service, Scott's had quite an interesting life. And a little caveat to the introduction to this podcast, I was told by a couple of people that Scott was a Navy SEAL, I didn't actually ask him about this before we did the podcast, so I did the intro and introduced him as a Navy SEAL, Then he very quickly corrected me to say he was a Green Beret, which is, of course, the US Army's band of special forces. Uh, Tried to edit it out so I didn't sound so stupid, failed miserably, so apologies on my part for that one. Thankfully, because Scott's a nice guy and a gentleman, he didn't kill me with a fork or snap my neck in a split second with a glint of his eye. So I managed to survive. Anyway, subsequently, we've become good friends. Um, We've actually talked about doing a collaboration with Faceplant Sunglasses Company and his brewing company. So we're going to make a Faceplant beer. So watch watch this space for any news on that coming. Hopefully it'll be soon. And I think in April, Scott's over in the UK speaking to a distributor about getting his beers into the UK as well. So if you're listening to this, in the US, you should be able to get hold of his beers in Whole Foods. Um, they're all over the sort of south US area or southeastern US area, Florida, places like that. Brewery is actually based in Charleston. So if you're anywhere near Charleston, go and check it out and get yourself a beer. But it should be coming to the UK soon. Anyway, without too much more waffle from me, let's get right into this week's episode and have a chat with Scott Harrison. Okay, I'm sat with a very interesting gentleman who I've had the fortunate um, amount of time with this week and a couple of beers and chatted about a few of the various businesses that he's got going on and a little bit of his history as well. It's a guy called Scott Harrison and um, he's mainly tied up with Cabrina through a link up with his brewery, which is Estuary Brewing. And they're making a collaboration beer, um, which is sending proceeds towards helping, you know, disadvantaged people who aren't necessarily able to get into water sports and have some fun adventures and things like that. I've probably done a really bad job of explaining it, which is why I've got Scott on to have a chat (laughs) with him. But Scott, let's start sort of from the beginning. Um, You know, your history was you're a, a Navy SEAL. No, uh, no, a Green Beret. A Green so, Beret. Okay, yeah. I got told Navy Seal, so there yeah, you go. A lot, apologies a lot, straight away. A lot away. of people mix 
you know those those two entities up. So um, how did you get into the military? What was the background? Was that straight out of school or? Um, it was. Uh, I always like was fascinated with the military. Um, you know, as I was growing up, I, I always had an active lifestyle and um, always wanted to do something adventurous. So it, it matched me. Yeah. Um, and so uh, right out of uh, right out of high school, I I, uh, I joined the military, and I actually I joined the military. It was the National Guard at the time when I was a, uh, a junior in high school, um, and uh, and so for a year uh, while I was still in school, my last year of high school, um, I would do monthly drills with the National Guard, um, and uh, and I had to I had to have a, a waiver. Uh, my grandmother raised me, so she had to um, sign off on me to be seventeen and <laughs> uh, for me to you know be involved in the military. And so as soon as I graduated high school. Um, I went to our, you know, basic, basic training and, and, um, and then, uh, your advanced training and came back and I started college. Um, so it was a, it was a good way for me to, to match, uh, my drive of adventure. Um, and then also, you know, a benefit was to, to help pay for school. Um, it was, it was a good benefit. Yeah. It's Um, quite a good offering that they do that in the UK. It was something I was interested in back when I was 18 and then I had a car accident and couldn't really run anymore with a heavy pack so it all fell apart and I became a windsurfing instructor which looking back on it I'm quite pleased that my life panned out that way but it's certainly a good way for you know college is really expensive in America right yeah it it can be yeah yeah so I feel yeah I feel pretty fortunate um you know was able to get as much schooling as I did um and it was covered so um but yeah that uh that kind of Let's see, led the path. Uh, I think you know around 2003, um, with you know already 9/11 happening and, and going into Iraq. I was in school, and <clears throat> I was activated with the National Guard to to go to Iraq. So I got pulled out of college. Oh wow! Um, at that time, before like one of my mentors in life uh, was uh, called my uncle, um, and uh, he. He had been involved in the special operations community for a long time in his career, and and he was the congressional liaison between um, between special operations and Congress, and so he uh, he at that time was saying, hey Scott like you should um, you have all the prerequisites you should go to West Point go to ROTC, um, and he was kind of pushing me in that direction. Um, definitely like towards special forces since I was already in, involved in the army as an entity. And so he was like one of the, I think the initially big reasons like why I decided like, Hey, I want to take this a step further in the military. And, yeah. um, and so I got pulled out of school, um, went through this whole activation process, uh, to go to Iraq. And then, uh, when that was all over with, um, I decided that I really liked being involved in that organization and, I decided to go through special forces selection. Um, was it was it scary when you got pulled out of school? Because that was quite a sudden thing, you know. Back back then, I remember when I was looking at it. You know, military job was quite safe because there wasn't a lot of conflict going on. Certainly for countries like the United States and um, United Kingdom, apart from in you know the odd little far flung place. But you know, the the Iraq kind of thing really kind of blew up quite quickly. Was that sort of was that something yeah, you were like, I yeah, mean, that's what I'm ready for? I think or was it... uh, I think it was well to me. It was more exciting at the time. Um, I had friends that went into like Ranger Battalion within within the Army, and like so, 
um, you know, when 9-11 happened and just like the rest of the world, we're, we're watching um, the news um, outlets showing guys jumping out of airplanes and into Afghanistan, uh, going after um, bin Laden. And, and so at, at that time, I felt like, man, I'm stuck in school. These guys are out doing a great thing. And, you know, it was patriotism. Like, yeah. we, you know, we wanted to, to get, out, you know, them. get after them and, uh, and, you know, make them uh, regret, you know, attacking like a free country, you know, uh, as America. Like, we're, um, we want to protect our rights, you know, and the, yeah. the freedom that, you know, we've fought long and hard for. So I, I really got behind it. Um, and so at that time, like, I started not to be interested in school anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I went through I went through selection. Uh, one thing I was doing while I was in school, I was a, a deputy sheriff. Yeah. Um, and so I was by school by day um, and night and kind of rotating. I had to, I was on the swing shift and I was uh, I was working um, in a jail and and uh, as a as a prison guard, but as a deputy sheriff. And so um, I can tell you one thing is like when you're when you're 18 years old and you're working in a jail, convicted felons do not take kindly for an 18 year old telling them what to do. <laughs> I can imagine. So, uh, so yeah, I, I had a I had a wrestling background in school, um, and so that I, probably was the biggest thing that paid off working in the jail. Is like I, I probably got more fights and wrestled around <laughs> with inmates than, <laughs> than anything I'd experienced in a bar or you know going through grade school. Um, so. And I have three brothers, so you know. I, yeah, you raised tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, when you started doing the selection process, how was that? How hard? How hard was it to get through? Was it pretty brutal? I thought it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Up to that point, I believe I was. Um, I had to be around 20, 20 years old, um, nineteen twenty, and that's uh, that's when I went. Um, so one one of the more younger guys to go through that process, um, I went through with my brother. Uh, he at that time he had also joined and he was really new into uh, the National Guard component too. And so when you when you're in the National Guard or active duty army, everyone like if you sign up um, and your your test scores, um, physical. Um, physical tests that you take if everything matches and it's good you can get selected and you go um and then you have to make it through that process which around that time i, I can't really remember what it was I, I think it was around like a month to six weeks i believe um i think it's different now but but we that's both, just the selection process that's just before the selection. you even go and do the, yeah, the training it's just, and everything it's just to say that, right? okay you are we 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 think that you're good enough. We think yeah. that you're we good think enough that you that might you survive it. <laughs> extend on. And so, um, you know, up to that point, um, I was like, man, this is like a huge accomplishment. I, I feel great. Like now, um, I went back to I went back to school afterwards uh, after the selection process, and my head wasn't there anymore. Um, and I decided that I now wanted to uh, venture from being just a reserve component. Um, in the military to do an active duty. Yeah. Um, what were you studying at college just out of interest? Um, I started off with uh, criminal justice and then um, and then I got into architecture. Okay. Um, and so I was like really thinking about the engineering side or architecture. I know that both of those aspects really fascinated me. Um, but uh, I decided to leave it all. Yeah, got um, the military bug. 
military and then I left um, and so it was really hard to get out of the National Guard. I had to have like, I had to activate my uncle who had uh, congressional um, contacts. They had to write letters to the, the National Guard general to get me to release to active duty component, but I finally made it, um, made it happen. Um, I showed up in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, they, it was kind of like they didn't even know I was coming, and they're like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, I made it through selection, guys. Uh, you know, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to do this. Um, and so it, it, it kind of got really confusing there. Like they, uh, they tried to send me to uh, to the Ranger Battalion down in Georgia, and I got down there, um, and they're like, why are you here? You've already <laughs> made it through Special Forces selection. You need to be going there. And so I got sent back up. Um, <laughs> so, so it wasn't that I was like, wait, it's like, is this, this is military is not yeah, as organized as I thought it was, you know? <laughs> I've just signed up for this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I um, ended up going through the, uh, through the process and uh, depending on what your job is um, on a team, uh, what you're selected to do, um, it can range from just, uh, it can range you know, from a year to three years, it's like going to college. Yeah. Um, you, you come, you come off <clears throat> or out of that program, and um, you have a specialty. Whether it's you're a demolitions engineer, uh, communications guy, weapons guy, um, or a medic. Um, at that time, I, I was able to choose because I just I wanted to get through as fast as possible, and I wanted to go to war. Yeah, um, that's what I wanted to do. So. Um, the fastest way to do that was to be a weapons guy, um, and so I chose that um, that discipline and went through the training. Um, and so at the end of it, I was a weapon expert. Um, you had to know a foreign foreign language uh, by the time you graduate. So mine was French. Oh, nice, good we, choice. Yeah. So um, so yeah, uh, I I mean I walked away feeling like wow, I just I just went through college. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, in a in a military aspect, but a very different kind of college. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that kind of like paves the way, like, right. That was like the, the foundation of why I'm here today. And it's even like the foundation of how I got into the brewing business. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, things like strange things happen in life. You never know whether they're, they're going to lead you to. So how long did you spend in the military on active service in the end? Uh, 20 years, 20 years, well, actually a little over 20 years, you know, total between National Guard and then active duty. How um, come you look so young? I, I, think, yeah. like, <laughs> I think, you know, if you drink good quality beer, and <laughs> I did not and, have yeah. you pegged at that yeah. age at all. Yeah. Like, having met you, I was like, oh, he's one of these young guys. Yeah, you know? but you, you know, I, I've always lived an active lifestyle. And, um, and I think once you stop living that active lifestyle, I, I think that's when you really start to age. And so my goal is to keep at it. Yeah, keep and, busy uh, and keep at it. So those 20 years, you must have been some pretty interesting places. Yeah, like I... Um, I mean, I, I, if I had to do it again, then it would be the same. Yeah. I, like I traveled, uh, went out to Colorado first. Um, so in the in the special forces, they have you know they they kind of split the world. Um, as far as in special forces, you know areas that you operate in, and my group was um, essentially in charge of uh, Europe. Um, you know the Balkans. Um, uh, Northern Africa uh, was something that um, was uh, we helped out on. Um, 
And so I got sent out to Colorado and within um, a couple weeks of being out there, um, I had these like, I'm, I'm still young, uh, still one of the youngest guys, uh, you know, to, to make it through at that, um, at that time. And I couldn't even rent a car, you know, so I, that was a big problem. They're like, what are we going to do with this guy, Scott? Yeah. You know, he can't, we can't send him anywhere because he can't rent a car and <laughs> you, you had to be 25. And so I always had to travel somewhere, but they were, they're like, Hey, we have a, uh, we have a trip coming up. We just got back from the Balkans. Um, you know, at the time uh, with Kosovo and everything that was kind of coming to the tail end. And now, now Iraq was the first, the first focus. Um, so uh, within, I don't know, within like three months, um, there I am in Iraq on the special forces team. And uh, there, that that's still, I think today, like it's still, it's still hard, like to keep the numbers up. And so we, you're supposed to have 12 men on the team. And I think at that time uh, we had like eight, eight people. Um, and so there, and you know, with already operating in a small group of guys, like, you know, just to pick up the workload of, of a few people is, is tremendous. So, yeah. so I found myself, you know, working, um, you know, working with you know, by myself or, you know, with another guy a lot. Um, so, we my the first place I was at in Iraq was uh, was kind of near the Iranian border yeah and um, and at that time all kind of things were going on you had like a civil war you had Iran um, supporting or doing anything in the conflict uh, to fight against the U.S. and so just one of the things that we were looking at was the uh, the suicide bomber um, like kind of the, the the rat lines they were. They were funneling people in um, to kind of to, to change the tide of the war, um, you know, towards the Islamic State or ISIS. Um, you know, Al Qaeda pretty much was identified back in the day. So, so we're out there, and um, and you know, being guys, uh, I would say there's something that's very, um, <clears throat> I think, unique and across the board about guys in the special operations community we don't really take well to like people telling us what to do and we like to make our own way and uh and sometimes we get bored and we just find things you know like we like to be creative and so that's how the brewing business started um can't get any beer out there right <laughs> we yeah the you know the the general that was in charge you know of uh the coalition forces you know when the rules says like while you're in country you don't drink right um but as we don't like to be told what to do, we're gonna find <laughs> we're gonna find a way. Um, so I had another guy who swore into secrecy that we were gonna make it happen, and uh, and we decided to uh, to try our hand at brewing our own beer and and turn it into an alcohol, and that was our outlet. You know, for some of the times, <laughs> I guess because um, you, you have much downtime where you're just kind of hanging around not, waiting. Or were you pretty busy all the time? Well, I mean, we were really busy, but um, but. You know, it's a brewing process. There's a lot of waiting. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's like you can be out doing can stuff check while and just go, check no. in and see how it's going. Yeah. So where did you get all the kit? Like, because I mean, they, I, I've heard that they do brew alcohol in places like that because they can't get it. Yeah, illegal. I mean, it, but it must really, still be quite hard. I mean, to come beer by. beer's been around for centuries. Yeah, you know, right? Exactly. So you can be very rudimentary and like and be able to like. Uh, to make it happen and so we we just had some carboys which are you know kind of like large uh, glass uh, you know bottles that that we used and 
we just made it happen. Yeah. It was not, it was not great. It was nothing that we, we, could, we could ever sell. We would go out of business and we try to sell that beer. <laughs> it was awful. But um, one of the funny things that we were like, so it being that we were uh, trying to, um, we're trying to change the dynamic of the, the battlefield with, uh, with working on uh, taking out these like suicide bomb uh, networks. Um, one of the things that like a suicide bomber usually does or before like these Al Qaeda guys, um, they say Allah Akbar, you know, before, before they, yeah. you know, carry out an operation with problems that God is great. Right. Well, um, well, we, we decided to call the beer Allah Akbar. <laughs> so, um, and it was pretty much, I mean, it matched everything. It was bad. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it made you not want to drink another beer again, but you know, really? it was, uh, it, it, it did the job. It had and, alcohol um, in it and you had a good time on it. Well, I think it was, it was more the most important part about it. It was a win, right? Like you, you need small victories. Like when you're, you're facing hard times or, you know, you get lonely, uh, you know, just name it. Like small victories mean a lot. Yeah, um, they, they nick away towards where you're going, and it was a small victory. Um, and it was also like uh, the guy that I shared this like experience with. He's no longer here today, and um, and so like, and and it was like just one part. There was two parts of just meeting this guy um, that really, I think, changed my life, and. Um, and so that's just one story um, about him. And the other story I'd like to tell you about him is like uh, growing up, being a young guy, going through this whole this whole uh, uh, period of, of selection and going through the, the pipeline to be a special forces guy is like, um, you're not very like confidence, you know, being a young guy, being surrounded by guys that have been around in the military, been in Ranger Battalion, have, have already been to war, come back. And then I'm a guy that's essentially off the street and National yeah. Guard, have no really experience at all. And I'm going and I'm in I'm in the ranks with these guys. And it can be very intimidating. Um, and so we're in the I'm just in a phase of this uh, of this program where we're our focus is on small unit tactics and and the the Green Berets, what they call them, the special forces guys of the army, um, they're force multipliers. They they're they're job but what they're supposed to do is to go in and um, influence a battle space a battlefield by working with indigenous forces um, unconventional warfare yeah um, and so that means that you can be one guy and you can be in charge of 200 men um, and it's kind of scary right to think that you know a, a 21 year old is going to go somewhere and 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 talk to the northern alliance of afghanistan and say hey i know everything that you guys need to do yeah um and That's we're, we're gonna go we're gonna go take out the taliban you guys ready <laughs> <laughs> so, and you're 21 uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so um so one night we're we're doing mission plan and we're getting ready to go do an operation um you know during this and um and our cadre who is also our graders they're the ones that are going to tell us if we're going to pass if we're going to be go or you're going back home and you're going to go into the regular army. Um, he came in, I think he could sense, you know, that I'm wasn't very confident about, about things. Um, and he said, Scott, he's like, do you think that you could, you could be in charge of a battalion full of men? And, um, and I said, I don't know. Um, I don't, 
I'm like, I don't think so. Um, right. And then the guy that my cadre said, okay, just shook his head and he left. And, um, and my buddy, his, his name's Ryan Sarter. Um, he looked over at me and said, Scott, come here. He's like, Scott, he's like, the only thing that he was looking for is for you to be confident. He knows, he knows you don't have the experience. Just act like you own it and be confident. That one thing like really changed my life afterwards. I had to spend the whole rest of this phase and I, knowing that like I might not pass, right? Because I, I was not confident when, when I was asked that question. But my buddy who had been in a Ranger Battalion, he scooped me up and he just told me just one piece of advice. And I took that to heart for the rest of my life, you know, up to, until today. Um, so my buddy Ryan Sarter, a few years ago, he was in Afghanistan and he was on, on um, climb through the ranks uh, to a sergeant major, which is one of the highest ranks for an enlisted guy. And... <clears throat> And they were being ambushed by the Taliban. He got shot in the neck, and he was um, about two weeks out from retirement. Nice. And, yeah, and, he, and so he left his left the wife and and his kids. And uh, but so um, so yeah, one of the like most influential guys in my life. You know, yeah. like just but just from a, a couple a couple experiences uh, and dealing with them. So so yeah, that's like that's how that the whole story oh. goes. That's how like. Um, I got here um, to... And were you... So that you started the brew in the beer when you were on the border of um, Iran and Iraq, right? Down that yeah, way, yeah. yeah. So that was the start. And that was a, sec- <laughs> and that was a secret. That was I mean, a that secret. was a secret. That was just something that we said we would never tell anybody because, yeah, like, because we cared about our careers and if like, yeah. someone... You but know, I guess now out, you're, now you're out. Now, it I'm out. I don't care. It, yeah. doesn't matter so, <laughs> it doesn't matter so much. And Ryan's sadly not around to tell you off for telling people yeah. about it. So it kind of works. But yeah. were, were, you, were you still like carrying on this brewing process while still pursuing your military career? No, I, I mean, I pretty much left that... Um, that was just an introduction. Um, uh, I went back to Colorado. I uh, went to Iraq multiple times. Um, and then I got stationed in Germany. Um, and then while I was in Germany, still going in and out of Iraq, I think by the, I think I lived in Stuttgart, uh, was a duty station in Germany. But while I was there, geez, I was there for four years stationed there and I probably w- was home maybe maybe a year total of that you know wow. i was gone you know either throughout europe um into war zones out like they keep you really busy over there um but when i was there and i had the the chance to experience uh europe um germany i fell in love with like the culture yeah around beer yeah it's a the, massive beer country yeah right? they like they're celebrating and, and to me like at that time i'm like i'm looking at at like how like these people are living and they're they're like they're loving life they're active they're celebrating right they are yeah. celebrating life and uh you go into your community and everyone's in and everyone's drinking beer together and they're having a good time and um and après you know ski is at a different level in europe uh i mean <laughs> yeah that's we, off the chain yeah, yeah it's like i mean it's so many things that europe is doing right and um and so i i'd gotten i would always had a skiing like backgrounds um my grandma used to take a skiing all the time my brother and i and and um and so when i one of the things i want to do in the special forces is be on a mountaineering team we have mountaineering teams we have a scuba team we have um uh like mobility teams like 
but that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a mountaineer. Um, and so to get that point, I found um, one of my friends that was a good mountaineer. And I got a backcountry set up um, on skis and I started, uh, we started going as far as we could. We were on a two hour recall uh, the, the whole time I was over there. So I only could go really two hours, which we push the limits on, of course. And um, But uh, we, we just go knock out day objectives in the Alps. Um, and uh, and one, we went. We ended up going. We had a few buddies. We went down to Chamonix and we were ski touring around, um, which is still one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah. Chamonix. And, it's pretty uh, serious terrain out there. Serious, like yeah, you know, like it, country is dangerous place to be. Yeah, you, know? you you look at the Alps and um, compared to the Rockies, and you look at the Rockies, you're like, man, they're kind of scary. And you look at the Alps, and you're like. Yeah, you look like you'll kill me. <laughs> yeah, <they are> savage. <laughs> I mean, you go out, you, you duck the ropes in the Alps. You know, you're yeah. you're in a totally different environment, and they don't care. No, duck the ropes in the Alps. Go ahead. Yeah, and, off you go. It's and on your you know, the Rockies here. are going to come chase you, and you're going to try to run. They're going to pull your pass, but yeah, you know, it's, no, it's, it's a totally it's, different experience. It's really, it's really promote. Well, not promoted, but you know, it's a great place for backcountry. Like, yeah. a really good place for backcountry, but. You know, it's dangerous every day. You're like measuring all the risks and trying to work out whether you're yeah. going to come home or not. And hopefully you make all the right decisions right. and you do. But yeah, there's plenty of people have come to mischief over there, sadly. But yeah, yeah. it's um, yeah, it's an awesome place to go and explore. Chamonix is amazing as well. Yeah, it is. So we uh, so we're in Chamonix and we're we have a snowstorm and then we were in a whiteout. And so when we were just skiing and. We're coming down, which is kind of, I, th- I think it was more of like a side country environment. Um, and I hit something underneath the snow and um, I partially tore my ACL. So I had to have people come up and, and, uh, and slow me down and ski patrol. And um, it was, I think it was around like two months before my next trip to Iraq. Um, at that time, um, I'd been in the Special Forces for a while. And now for this trip coming up, I was... Uh, now I was in charge of a, a team of guys, um, and um, I was running an outstation for an organization within special operations, um, and uh, which was will always be like the highlight of a, a guy on a team, an enlisted guy on a team, is to run his own team. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was it. There was no way I was going to miss this. Yeah. Um, I had a partially torn ACL, so. I went right to work, um, trying to rehabilitation, um, and uh, so I was a little bit late to the trip, uh, but I still made it. Um, and so we, it was I was really actually close to where the first place I started at in Iraq at that time, um, and uh, we were one night we were going, um, we had this target we were going after, and um, we. Uh, we were coming in. We had a couple little birds, uh, which is small, small helicopters. You just sit on the side of, you know, on the way in. We had some Blackhawks, and um, night. I think we didn't have any moon that night, um, so we're coming in, and we land in this field. Um, one side of the field is this police headquarters, uh, which you never know who's friendly, who's not over there, and on the other side of the field is the house and the compound that we are raiding. And um, and so we land, um, the helicopters, as they're taking off, they're kicking up um, 
you know, dust and dirt. It's a brownout, um, and you're under you're under night vision goggles, and we're just we're just running in the direction that we think that we need to go at that point. <laughs> you can't see anything, but we do know that we're being shot at. Yeah, um, you can hear that. <laughs> and we're like, well, this is really weird. We're being shot at because this is a police headquarters that you know, we just landed next to. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, looking back, I think it. Uh, I guess we can't be really positive, but we do think it was the the Iraqi police or um, that were shooting at us. Um, maybe they were tied. A lot of these people are tied into the the terrorist organizations that were yeah. over there. So, um, and that's like probably one of the most dangerous parts of being in Afghanistan, working with like indigenous forces is is the uh, that that aspect of it. Don't know the loyalty. You you can you think you're loyal and then you turn your back and you know yeah. you're you're being shot at. And that's uh, that's unfortunately have, have gotten a like a lot of guys in our in our profession, but. Um, but on the way, on the way, as I'm running through this plowed field, um, I twist my knee and, um, and I tore the rest of it and I just didn't say anything. I just kept going. Um, I only had, I think around six weeks left on the trip and I just like powered through it. Um, the last thing I wanted to do was get pulled out of this. Um, and so I just kept it hush hush. And, uh, and by the time we got back to Germany, um, I was very fortunate. They sent me back to Colorado to Vail for surgery um, to the Stedman Clinic, uh, which is one of the most renowned like orthopedic um, surgery organizations um, in America. But you'd spent six weeks running around Iraq with a torn ACL. Yeah, luckily, like, <laughs> yeah, luckily, I had um, I was able to like really strengthen it. Like, yeah. um, we we had um, this guy named Pat. He was the U.S boxing um uh athletic coach or um a physical physical coach we snatched him up and so we pulled him from the olympic committee to our organization um and he led us through like all our workout programs and um and so working with him i uh, learned a lot but he also was able to get my knee yeah, to a place build where the muscles up around and, it so. yeah so i mean it, it probably didn't have much left of it anyways you know before i went but so I just made it happen. Um, yeah. Just wrapped it up. Uh, kept kept icing it. Um, yeah. So I sent I was sent to Vail, and uh, and they let me stay. I think around thirty days and do physical rehab uh, before I had to go back to Germany and then move back to Colorado. Um, and so while I was in Vail, uh, realized um, they didn't have a brewery there, for one. <laughs> um, was in love with the culture around beer, and I. Uh, I was essentially like, once once I did move back to Colorado, um, instead of living in Colorado Springs where the uh, our special forces unit was at, I decided to move up to Breckenridge and commute two hours a day because I wanted to be in the mountains. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to ski. I wanted to get up at four o'clock in the morning and skin up and ski down and then drive two hours to work. I, I just wanted to live that lifestyle. Um, uh, so I that's what I did and um, and. Through uh, through mutual friends, I was connected to our uh, my business partner now, um, the head brewer of uh, Vail Brewing Company. So we we both uh, founded uh, Vail Brewing Company together. Oh wow! Um, and uh, so we just started from from nothing and um, and made it happen. Um, a lot a lot of errors and, and learning lessons along the way. Did he um, have much experience or were you? He, um, he, he was a home brewer. Yeah. Um, so. And so he had some 
some professional experience, more like assistant brewing operations. Um, but we sent him to the, uh, the Siebel Institute, which is out of Chicago, uh, for like a two week program, a crash course, just so he could have a certification. The banks needed that. Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, I guess our hard, hard learning lesson, um, we had when we first started out with the Bell Brewing Company was we, um, we trying to save money. We, uh, we, saw that there was a, a brewing system um, which was available through the U.S. Marshals. Um, the U.S. Marshals confiscated some some guys that had been indicted on federal crimes yeah. and and they were selling... Uh, selling off the their, contraband. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we're like, this is a great deal, you know? This yeah. is this will save us um, $50,000 and let's do this. And so, so we decided to get it and um, they wouldn't let us inspect it um, until the day that it was being shipped and somehow, um, it was oversight, uh, the way it was packaged. We saw that it was missing one of the key components of that brewing system, which is a kettle. And, um, a kettle is, um, during when you're brewing is the last part before it's transferred over to a fermenter, um, before the fermentation process, the kettle is where you sanitize the beer, where you add the hops, um, and so you need that That's kettle. Where the magic happens. You need yeah. that kettle to, to make it to make it happen. And it didn't have it, so um, so we lost. Um, I think it, uh, we lost around seventy five thousand dollars, and we only had one hundred fifteen thousand dollars really to start the business. You know, between the combined of all of us um, that was doing it, and so we lost we lost it at as we started. Um, so we had to jump through hoops to find more money. Um, and then um, we made it happen. We uh, we opened up the the business, and uh, Vail Resorts got behind our story. Um, oh wow! In our program, and we uh, yeah we we had a second location in a year, and um, and I think we're almost nine years into it. We're about to build a, a third location for uh, distribution. So. So Vail Resorts are huge, right? They own pretty much half yeah, the they're, they're resorts of, in America. So were they exactly. then supplying your beers to the resorts and yeah, to the bars they, and Yeah, they decided, like um, you know, as most like brands um, decide, they they want to minimize like um, like uh, UPCs and SKUs uh, within their systems to, to be more efficient um, to order. And so at one time, I think we were like three years into it, they said, hey, we're going to take all the craft breweries in the area and we're going to choose one to be our partner. Um, and so I had to go in and give the pitch to the main like uh, beverage bar of, of the resorts at the time. And they said so they picked us. They picked us to, um, you know, maybe because of the name, because our story, our relationship. Um, and, uh, and so we got that. Because the craft brewing business in the U.S. has exploded, right? So you've mentioned that when you started the Vale Brewing Company, there wasn't a brewery there. So then in three years, it's like other craft breweries started up or were these other craft breweries from outside the area? There, um, there was, uh, there was a brewery down Valley. So we call down Valley is like, if you, you have Vail resort, anything West, um, you know, kind of down to where you steamboat or not steamboat, um, but Glenwood Springs, you turn to Aspen, all that stuff is like down Valley. There was a, a, a brewery down Valley. It's called bonfire. And there, there were our main competitors. Um, and another one called crazy mountain. Both are out of business uh, today, um, uh, but so right now we don't have a lot of competition up there, which is yeah. you know, um, I think we're going to see start seeing that as 
the inflation and uh, repercussion of COVID. Um, there's a, there was a huge craft bubble and um, and today, you know, like it's thinned out a little bit. It's thinned out, you know, which is which is good, right? There's yeah. a lot of bad beer out there too, so it's it's kind of helping uh, helping the cause. Um, so I um, just life events. Um, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Um, um, at that time, I was I was still in the military. Um, I was. Uh, essentially running Vail Brewing Company with my business partner who was brewing the beer. So I was doing all the, the business Back operations, end. delivering beer, trying to make sales. Uh, While still being in the military. I uh, still <laughs> being in the military and it, it was taking a toll. Now, like I, now I moved to Vail. So now I'm driving three hours, um, you know, the Colorado Springs. And, and so I ended up getting out. Um, of the military, but I wanted to make sure that I, I didn't lose all my time. So I went back into the National Guard so I could, I had like a few years left until I could retire. Um, a year out of being off active duty, just being in the National Guard, um, Colorado um, gave me a call and they asked if I wanted to lead up uh, their mountaineering program for the state, um, which would train like some of their National Guard forces. Uh, the the Colorado had a special forces unit um, uh, at the time, so it kind of fit in. So yeah, dream job. It was a dream job. I'm like, well, can I do it from Vail? And they're <laughs> like, sure, you can do it from Vail. Um, and so next thing you know, like I'm running, still running um, Vail Brewing Company with my partner, and um, and uh, my brother is now involved in the business. Uh, he was kind of doing financials, um, and then I had another guy that served with me also, but. Um, so we're trying to share the duties. Um, now we're mountaineering. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching this mountaineering program, growing it. Um, it but it's still, it was just too much. Um, but I was still getting to do something that I always wanted to do. Yeah. And, um, and so I was... You must be know, getting pretty frazzled. Like, yeah, and then, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's a bad thing about like taking a hobby and then turning it into a profession. Um, sometimes you lose that, that, that passion behind yeah, it. And, I can um, relate to that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, that's just, so it's something like, uh, it, it's taken me a while to get back to, um, you know, freezing in the, the back country and teaching people how to ice climb and, and, you know, multi-pitch climb and stuff like that. And just mountaineer. It's taken me a while to get back to like loving it again. Yeah, enjoying it. Um, so yeah, so, but, life changes happened and um I, I needed a change and so I, I moved back to my hometown in charleston south carolina um kept ownership still have my ownership in bell brewing company but um after a, a year or so being back in charleston i decided to open up another brewery um at which is estuary uh, brewing company and um and our location is called estuary beans and barley because we we roast coffee there also okay so as far as the brand in uh we have estuary brewing company and then we also have estuary coffee company and that that location estuary beans and barley is where it all comes together and it's a collaboration and you come in and you smell coffee being roasted in the morning and, and beer brewing into the afternoon so it's a really cool experience uh, for people um so yeah like some somewhere in that i met kent yeah, um, I met Kent, and that's why I'm here, sitting with you today. Um, yeah, because there's another thing I was going to talk yeah. about is obviously you know you're you're keen on action sports and getting out there and yeah you know doing sort of things. How did the kite surfing come about? Um, well, th because I lost that lack, um, that that mountaineer, which was that like adrenaline rush, uh, 
that activity that I really needed, I lost it because I just got tired of it. Um, at that time, I kind of needed something else. Yeah. Um, a guy, one of my good friends, uh, his name is Mike Knoll. Um, he founded a, a company called Blackhawk Tactical. He um, uh, wildly successful entrepreneur, um, and we had met out in out in Vale, and which he lived at the time, and, um, and he just happened to be friends with Kent also. Uh, Mike had this has this did have uh, here to really this really nice boat. Some people call it a super yacht, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you know like I'm this military guy, but he was a Navy SEAL. Yeah, he was a Navy SEAL. So we shared that was our common ground that we had that both grew up in kind of same background. Um, yeah been through special forces yeah so he invited me he decided he's going to do this boys kiting trip and he's like hey scott do you want to go and uh and i think that he probably has he's like yeah i just got a boat um you should come out and hang out with us i'm like okay well he's probably going to have this like 30 foot center console we're just going to go cruise around and uh and next thing you know we show up and and it's a super yacht. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wow, you are doing well for yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, that was my first experience. Um, so it was a kiting trip. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting here uh, surrounded by these successful CEOs. And I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, like, <laughs> I just remember Ryan Sarter told me to be confident. Yeah. You know, so just be confident, you know, you're here for a reason. Um, and so, yeah, we just, uh, we became friends then. Um, it's, I tell you, like, you meet Kent. Um, and he's just such an approachable, likable, genuine guy. And it's hard to walk away from meeting him, not being his friend. Yeah. Um, and we just hit it off, you know, like he was telling me all kinds of stories. I spent the whole week laughing, um, as, as most people do, you know, after meeting Kent. And, um, so there was just some, you know, there's a special connection there. Um, I told him about my background and, you know, together we're, like man like this is this is an adrenaline sport and um and here's some things that i've dealt with in my background and there's guys that like would probably really be able to use a, a sport like this to, to kind of fill that that void of of what they experienced in the military especially guys in special operations um and so we talked about it um and a couple years later uh i was meeting with kent over a beer and, um, and we started talking about it a little bit more. Kemp broke out a napkin, started drawing out uh, just like a base, a base line of uh, how we can make it work, and um, and we created the Drifter beer from it. Because um, at that now at that time, I owned Estuary Brewing Company, um, and he's the CEO of Cabrina, and we decided that we're going to uh, create this project called the Newfound Freedom Project, which is now. We uh, we have named the Drifter Project. Yeah, um, we we we've changed it to the Drifter Project because um, you know it kind of matches the baseline of what I see people. You know, people like um, unfortunately like they can be top athletes. You know, and and something happens, and now they're they're dealing with a, a physical disadvantage, um, car wreck. Things happen in life, right? Yeah, um, and they lose their ability. Um, what they know is, is normal, right? So now they're drifting, you know, trying to find something in life. Yeah, looking um, for that other so thing. That's, yeah, that's what I support. So now it's now it's called the Drifter Project. Um, 
we uh, over 2000 it's COVID and the recessions kind of set set things back just a little bit um, but in our first year we ran three clinics um, and the first the first clinic uh, we had uh, Navy uh, first between the first clinic we have Navy SEALs uh, special forces guys we've had um, just uh, normal people that are dealing with physical disadvantage, they all have come out and they've gotten experience and an an introduction to water sports uh, centered around wind. And, um, and it's, you you just involving yourself in a giving back um, uh, project like that is one of the the most like rewarding things I think you'll experience in life is just helping people, right? Because you never know what that that last you know your last day what your name's going to be pinned up on and um, yeah. and I can say like uh, we're very fortunate between Cabrina and Estuary that you know if if we go out tomorrow if the recession takes us out tomorrow which we're not going to let it happen but you know we can pin up our we can pin our name on this yeah you know, like this is we we're we're doing our part um, and doing something good for uh, men and women out there who who need help yeah. And the drift of beer now, it's, you know, it started off as this idea between you and Kent, but it's, it's really quite grown, isn't it? It's... Oh man. So I can like, I, I, I was just, I was just talking to, um, John Modica this morning, who is the chairman of, um, of Cabrina, um, uh, Waterbound Investments. And, and I was telling him like, I've been to many events now with Cabrina and, there is there is something about Cabrina that resonates with me with what I've experienced with the, the best organizations in the military, um, the top the top organizations within the U.S. government, um, and Cabrina has that. Uh, and no matter like, I think they have the best equipment also, but it doesn't matter about the equipment; it's their team. Um, they have a team that that welcomes you and makes you feel like a family um and once you feel that which is immediate you want to be involved in it you want to be you want to surround yourself with that team and um and kent the team that kent has put together um with john like and and his backers like has um has taken the newfound freedom now to the project and they have have made it a part of who they are and so their whole team behind is behind it like their their videographers uh media teams um they're doing everything that they can like to to push the story about uh about the drifter project about the beer and essentially what who we are as a company right we're we're collaborating. Um, we're creating great products, um, and we're celebrating. You know, we like to we like to celebrate the end of our day with a drifter beer, and yeah. that's um, we're so we're celebrating life. That's what we like to live. It's a shame they got confiscated by customs, isn't it? Yeah, trip, you know, so. I tell you, like <laughs> you're uh, you know you're going to uh, the 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 good ones that the, the good companies that survive always have the good stories at the end, right? Like, yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna get it done no, no matter what, and sometimes it, it can be expensive, <laughs> uh, a scenario to deal with. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's gonna be a good story. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So we uh, 
we're trying to get our beer down to Mexico now, and I, I think we're going to have it tomorrow. <laughs> oh, cool. So it is going to get here. Yeah. <laughs> In time for the wrestling matches. That yeah, we've got quite a, bit to, yeah. quite a bit to drink. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. But yeah, so definitely come thirsty. Um, but yeah, that's that's the story. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, it's a pretty amazing tale really like that, that it all kind of sinks through and you know any one of those little things could have not happened and you could be doing something completely different and right. we wouldn't be sat here right now yet yeah exactly. whatever happened has happened and leads you down the path that you end up taking yeah. and you know you, are you still running the Vale Brewing Company and the Estuary Brewing Company at the same time now or um so right now I I um I do quarterly meetings involved and to extent of uh, what we need with Velber and Company, but um, my main focus right now is, is estuary. Is estuary. estuary has a, a lot of uh, momentum, and uh, especially like dealer meetings, like we're we're experiencing and we're at right now. We have people from over forty different countries here, and um, and now they know about the Drifter project and the beer, and they're like, "How can we get it here?" Um, so we have a lot of momentum yeah, and a lot of ramping up and we're trying, yeah, we're trying to figure out, all right, well, how do we get this beer here? Um, so if, uh, if anyone's listening to podcasts and you have a distributor yeah, they <laughs> that's do in some. your area, like we're, um, you know, we need those connections. The best thing that we can do, um, as a brewery, um, is have an introduction and saying that, and someone that maybe owns a restaurant group, um, or, you know, is, is a business owner of a, a bar, like to, to tell their distributor, Hey, we want that beer. And um, and for to get that introduction, and then we can kind of figure out how to get the beer. And everyone that's working on the the Drifter project is doing it voluntary, right? That's it's, part of, it part is, of yeah. the magic of it. Is yeah. it's, uh, you know, obviously Estuary Brewing is a business in itself, but the, yeah. the Drifter beer is a you know a voluntary. Everyone's putting their time in to help. You know, yeah, right. the cause of the Freedom Project, or Drifter yeah. Project, as it's now called. Sometimes you wish you were getting paid, but we like, <laughs> you're like, what stage is it? When you said voluntary, it sounds great. Yeah. It was already small and not too busy, and now it's really busy. You're yeah, like, like, so I can tell you, like, you know, running companies and then, and then also trying to manage, um, you know, clinics. Um, we were very happy to be associated with um, a warrior sailing who, um, who takes uh veterans and gets them out on the water teaching them how to sail but um warrior sailing um and the project that we are doing our nonprofit projects and we fall underneath the uh usmma sailing foundation and that's the 501c um so when you like uh when you go to donate towards the project which you can do on on the cabrina website or you can do on estuaries website um, it goes through the USMMA Salem Foundation, um, and in turn, they they get us the funds uh, that we need to be able to run the clinics. Um, so that's where your donations uh, go through. We um, and so we're very happy to have that relationship with them. They're really amazing organization um, doing the same thing, and it lines up right. It's Salem, it's wind sports, yeah, um, and so it it all it all matches. And are you keen to take the Drifter project? Um, further, as in the clinics and the helping people, in you know, taking it international—is that a goal in the future? Or yeah, um, we have now shared the beer. Um, I think it's around ten countries already. Okay. Ten countries. Um, you know, Mexico is the, the latest one that we have uh, we've shared the beer in and are telling the story. Uh, we are setting up our first um, export uh, location to the UK. Uh, and we are hoping that this summer 
we'll, we'll have uh, the Drift of Beer in the UK. So we're fastly, we're going to be trying to find places to put that Drift of Beer yeah. um, and, and in Kiten, Kiten locations. And, um, and, you know, we just want people to know that when they're drinking this beer, it's you're celebrating life, but you're also... Um, you're also helping other people to, to celebrate their life too and, um, and to get them out and, and doing the things that you love to do. That's a really good cause, isn't it? Yeah. Makes it taste even better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for those listening, it does taste really good. I was, um, I was telling Scott when I met him that I'd arrived at James Balding's house, marketing manager for Cabrina, who lives on the way to the airport for me on the, I think it was a Saturday. No, was it? Yeah, it was a Saturday. And uh, I walked through the door and the first thing he's like, do you want to drift a beer? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'd love one. And what James didn't know is I'd driven there with the worst hangover ever. I mean, <laughs> spent the night in the social club in our little village the night before. So we were doing a darts night and it all got very out of hand and we were drinking until the small hours. So literally the last thing in the world I wanted yeah. was a beer, but I couldn't say no. And it was really tasty and it went down really well and I had another yeah. one. So it was obviously a testament to how good it tastes. It'll be exciting to, um, to see it more in the UK. Um, that'd be quite good to see. Have you had any experience in like you know business at all? You mentioned when you when you were looking at college, um, you know it was architecture and it wasn't you know sort of I, I thought you were going to say oh, I was studying business at college or something mm. like that because you know setting up two successful companies that's quite a feat. Where did that sort of drive come from or skill set come from? Do you think or was it just a natural bit of luck and a bit of talent? I can I think. What I've experienced as far as business business owners, uh, meeting CEOs is there's one common thing. We're kind of all ADD a little bit, right? We're yeah. all big dreamers. Um, I think that's very common. And um, but so I had that aspect. I'm definitely a, a big dreamer. I think I had to have a little bit of ADD. You know, like I'm always like, hey, squirrel. <laughs> you know, what, yeah. what am I going to chase next? I mean, this is something really cool. Let's do this. Um, and it takes like it takes being surrounded by a team to kind of you know rein them you know those uh, those challenges in um, and everyone you know every every company has um, every good company has the people in there that uh, match that so um, I'm just I'm driven yeah when it comes down to I'm just driven to to want to do things and um, and I, I want to do things that I think are cool um, that are adventurous so I want to like have my the business, any business that I'm associated with, um, um, there's a lifestyle and a culture there that is centered around um, things like chitin, you yeah. know, like, you know, celebratory. Um, so hard work. I, I don't think, um, although the military, you know, brought me to where I'm at today, um, uh, definitely had instilled discipline as anything but I can't just I can't say that it was just the military you know it was just like life experiences that that have brought me here and um and just like managing hard times right like yeah every every hard time that um that you get through um is only going to make you better and um and I've been really fortunate and have a lot of hard times in life. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, some people don't get to experience those, uh, those hard times until they're older. And, and I got to do that at a very young age. Um, and, um, and so I just I found that, like, the number one thing that I will always live by is don't quit. Yeah. Do not quit. If there's something that you re you really want in life, um, 
and you're passionate about, you will get it if you do not quit. Um, That's a good, good yeah. phrase. That's funny because there's an attitude in America, I think, which is, oh, you know, you've got to fail 20 times and, you know, and just, I'll oh, give up on that and then try again and give, and, until something sticks. Yeah. And I've, I'm the antithesis of that where um, I did a bit of counselling a few years ago and, and discovered a lot more about myself and I have an innate inability to fail like I just it's in ground from a very young age that I failed at something as a four-year-old kid mm. and it's just stuck in my mind that that is one of the most powerful things that happened to me so I can't fail so whenever I start something mm-hmm. not only do I start it but I will then just keep banging my head against that brick wall until it you know becomes a success or until yeah. it gets through because you know that's and so it's interesting to hear you say that is that don't quit mentality can mm. be so powerful yeah, I think sometimes in this modern day, kids are, you know, brought up and then, oh, it doesn't matter if you, you know, don't worry about it, it doesn't matter. And you're like, actually, you should, you know, work hard and keep going. And it's the people that work hard and don't give up that right. end up, you know, coming out the other side, I think. Yeah, I, it's like, it's when, you know, when the right thing to do, like, is to quit, like, but you, you have to find what you're passionate about, what you want to do. Yeah. Um, when you find that, that is something you should not quit on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to say it better. I have another story I can say tell you about that. But yeah, go on. Go ahead. <laughs> um, it had it has to be in the military. In selection is called the star star course, and it's towards the end of selection. Um, what you do is you don't have night vision. You have a pack that's damn near over a hundred pounds, um, and you're for nights for it seems like a week. You're walking from point A to point B, and you're navigating in the night. Um, and one of the things that you're told that the only thing that you're really told uh, by anyone that really cares about you and that wants you to succeed um, that's maybe already in, in the, the special forces is say don't quit right um, and you'll see it like in in SEAL movies the Navy SEALs have all kind of movies out there I mean <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Navy SEALs are best at Hollywood I'll tell yeah. you what but you know for a secretive yeah. organization yeah, there's a lot like, of films out there about um, but you know it's about you know the ring and the bell and the, and the SEALs yeah. I think but um, but yeah so one night you know I'm young and and I'm freaking cold and I'm wet and I'm like and I'm trotting through the the woods at night um by myself and i'm already a couple days into it and um and i'm and you're you're moving distance you can't you can't run it but you can't walk it you know so you're you're like you're in a shuffle the whole time and um and i got to a point one night um i'd been i'd been rained on i was cold i was shivering i was tired i was hungry um and I wanted to quit, and and being like in the special forces is something I really wanted to do. It just so happened, just about that time that I thought I was going to quit, um, I practically tripped over a guy. It was dark; I couldn't see him. I thought I tripped over a log. <laughs> it was a dude that just quit. He decided that he wasn't going to go anywhere else, and he just laid down, and he quit. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not that guy. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to lay here and let someone come pick me up because I don't, I don't have the fortitude, you know, and the drive to to keep going. And, uh, so I kept going. Didn't quit. Right. Find, find what you want to do in life and, and where you want to be and don't quit. 
Good words to live by. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, I think that's a nice place to end it there. I think yeah. we've covered off most of the things that would be good to, to talk about. That was really, really interesting. Like, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I do a lot of these chats and some of them I enjoy more mm. than others and some of them you yeah. get little nuggets from people that you really get into. And yeah, that was a really interesting chat. I enjoyed that. Thanks, yeah. Scott. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks. It's always a really pleasure being here and thank, thank you, you for the opportunity. Brilliant. Well, look, great to meet you. There we have it. I'm sure you'll agree. He's a really interesting guy. Lots of good stories there and some really good takeaways as well. I think the be confident one for me is something that I'm going to keep close to my chest. Um, we often project confidence and come across like we are more confident than perhaps we are in real life. And that sort of having the confidence to do things sometimes can open doors that you might not have opened otherwise if you didn't get out of your comfort zone. Also, I love his attitude on don't quit. Um, those of you who are fans of this podcast will have heard me talking about it before. You know, if you really want something, you've got to work hard for it and put the miles in. I really enjoyed chatting to Scott and I'm looking forward to working with him and hanging out more with him in the future. As ever, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a like, share and a thumbs up. A five star rating always goes down a treat as well. I'll be back soon with more episodes. So keep your ears out and until then, have a fantastic week.